Hello and welcome to episode 14 of Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And this week we are doing The Empire Strikes Back. Hmm. This is my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, directed by Irvin Kirshner. Written, credited at least, to Leigh Brackett and Lawrence Kazin with George Lucas as a story. Although most reports would say that they didn't use a ton of Leigh Brackett's work, but they still gave her story credit because she was dying of cancer. I'm not making that up. I know. I, I remember reading that in the screenplay book, mm-hmm. which just seemed both honest and like kind of a, a diss in a way. Um, yeah, so one of our listeners, Raquel, had brought up issue with me placing the prequels above like the original Star Wars that I view. That doesn't get, surprise me. And that kind of the reason why is is, you know, you're talking about movies that aren't just movies to me, but they're uh, they're something more that I connect to, like, you know, Robin Hood stories or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh the the Empire connects to me in a big way. I, I I don't know, I'm drawn to it in Return of the Jedi, but I think Phantom Menace came out when I was a senior in high school and that wasn't like a great year for me, but some of the things that were most positive, I remember being excited about like Phantom Menace, for example, which in retrospect, you know, has many flaws, many, many. Flaws. Well, it's, it sounds like what you're saying is it's more of the, the memory of the movie experience rather than just, just the movie itself. And, and also rewatching the movie, what that stirs up. But I mean, it's the same thing for Empire Strikes Back. I mean, I can be clinical about Empire Strikes Back, but I can also talk about, the nostalgia, you know, that, that each scene, each moment stirs up for me as well. It's kind of like how that one friend of ours has very fond feelings for that Kiss Me song by Sixpence Down the Richer, even though it's not a very good song. Wow. That's just your opinion, man. Okay. Anyway, the 20th of June, 1980, is when this was released three years later. This is back in the, uh, the three-year gaps that they did for the original trilogy and the sequels. Mm-hmm. Of course, three years between movies now is like that's just unheard of in Hollywood. They got to pump them out once a year, yeah, or at least two years. But with like you know side properties and whatnot occupying the meantime. Mm-hmm. So, opening statements. Um, you know, so these these really are movies for kids, and they always were. But there's a lot of similar themes here in the movies that we've already covered in this podcast, like Harry Potter and Hunger Games. I mean, Star Wars is basically both of those things combined. Um, so in a lot of ways, this movie, to me, it's kind of like this trilogy's The Two Towers, as would be the middle part of any trilogy. There's a wise old Muppet here, but there's no elves. There's no no Jawas, no Ewoks, not yet. Um, Parentheses, if The Two Towers were a good movie. <laughs> well, I mean, I meant the book, sorry. Yeah. The original uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, but, you know, instead you get a lot of wounded male egos and fatal demotions and uh, but this is the ultimate example of a movie that's like it's going deeper into its own mythology. Like uh, I think io9 just published something about how the original Star Wars movie is great because it asks more questions than it answers. And this movie kind of gives you the answers you weren't expecting, but were gleefully, wonderfully there. Uh, and it's 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 thought provoking. I think it elevates the first movie more it, it, and the third one just by proximity alone. I mean, A New Hope kind of shows you the eponymous New Hope, all bright and shining. There's a princess and a cowboy and a farmhand. They can go swashbuckling, swinging about, fighting evil empires, saving the day. And you can say that's the heart of stars, but like not that alone. Like This is the other half of that heart, I think. There's tales of regret and hardened fury and broken men. And You can tell I wrote some of this down. Like, yeah. you know, There's people who are like haunted or they're haunting. Uh, 
the movie kind of like shoves its way through those dark times and like this is what you need to eventually have a redemption at the end of this story. Um, but also I would say this is this is the great American movie sequel. Like this is the what literally every franchise has been trying to recreate from the moment this movie came out until the end of fucking time itself. Mm-hmm. Every sequel words. will be either compared poorly to The Empire Strikes Back or it's always like, oh, they're saying it's like the Empire, you know, of, of this trilogy or whatever. Yeah. That's always the hope. Yeah. Anyway, do you have anything else? Sorry for interrupting. No, that's 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 where I would leave off. Okay. Well, um, you know, I love this movie. This is my all-time number one favorite movie, so I can't really be objective here. Uh, but I think what makes this movie so interesting is that it's it's all act two, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like moody character development and this kind of exploration of the bigger galaxy that we just kind of got hints of in the first movie. Um, and I think it's really interesting. It's like, what do you do with Luke's character when he got everything he wanted in the first movie, essentially? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you take it all away, basically. The movie just completely deconstructs his whole character and his yearning for adventure, which is really interesting and brave for a sequel to do that. And I think years later, uh, that's why people like this movie so much, is that it wasn't just more the same. It brings back these similar characters, but they grow and evolve, and they're, they become deeper and more three-dimensional. And then you get these new characters like Yoda and Londo, Londo who they just fit right in, like perfectly, mm-hmm. in totally different ways, but they feel like totally you know, appropriate in the universe. And I think the discussion of the Force in it, it really takes the franchise to a deeper level. And then, of course, the ending is legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I think you could say in the first movie that Han and Luke and Leia were somewhat archetypes. I mean, they had characters, but they were definitely kind of stand-ins for an archetype as well. But th- in this movie, they really become real people. Um, and it's just really thrilling to watch them be constantly on the run and at a disadvantage. It's like really emotionally engaging in a way that I don't think any other Star Wars movie has ever been able to match. Well, your characters are your characters when they're tested, I think. Mm-hmm. And this reveals like their best aspects, but also their flaws. <laughs> like their mm-hmm. their their delightful, wonderful flaws. Yeah. All right. Well, that was my statement. Like I said, my favorite movie of all time. So top three moments. I have five. I have. Well, I mean, I have several and it Mm -hmm. comprises the entire movie itself. But uh, my number four would be it's a small moment. I have a lot of small moments because I think it's hard to just grasp one moment here and there. But my Mm -hmm. number four is in the Hoth base. When the one rebel guy is telling Han that his Tauntaun will freeze before it gets to the first marker, and Han just flips off, telling the dude, then I'll see you in hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed the recent, uh, like, nerd concern trolling because Finn says hell no in the Force Awakens trailer. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the true stars heads out there had to be like, <clears throat> excuse me, here are the three times they say hell in the original trilogy. Shut the fuck up. But I, I love it because, you know, Han and Leia's relationship <laughs> is interesting. I could see where people could have issues with part of the way he flirts with her. But I love that you then follow this this super bro moment that he's going to go rescue his friend. Oh, it's the ultimate though. bro. And I, I yeah. feel like that gets overlooked a little. Like, Han's just like, oh, I'm just going to ride out into, like, this crazy environment that will kill me to, like, rescue my friend. Yeah, yeah. I will most likely die. Mm-hmm. doing this you will never see me again but i'm still gonna do it even though he's my romantic rival sort of <laughs> yeah i think in han's mind he's not really um i i just want to give an honorable mention to uh apology accepted captain nita <laughs> it's like they just cut out the whole choking scene and just show him collapsing at the end 
Mm-hmm. It's like we've already seen the the whole version of that once, and then we just see the the quick version again. I love that; such great storytelling. No, I mean we were gonna have to talk so much about just deepening and exploring your villain in a in a way where you only get like the tiniest bit of mm-hmm. Vader's backstory. Vader's so awesome in this movie. I mean, he's fine in the first Star Wars; he's intimidating, but here he's like a, a true character. He's also just a shade of darkness that just mm-hmm. falls upon everyone else. I mean, it's like you really start to think was Tarkin like crowding his style in a serious way in the first one. Yeah, he is no longer on a leash. Okay, so my number four is uh, Han and Leia kiss on the Falcon. Uh, just you know, I happen to like nice men. I'm nice men. No, you're not. Uh, this that that's what a romance looks like, George. Uh, which. <laughs> Yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, there is a, a way that Han flirts. It's it basically like, don't try this unless you're Han Solo, you know? Like, if if, if someone's not into you, this may come across totally wrong. And so it's like, oh, yeah. can't really take any lessons from this. But, yeah, it's Han Solo and lays into it, so it works. But it's it's... <laughs> It becomes all the much better if you stack it up against Anakin and Padme's relationship in Attack of the Clones, which is... Almost as or more concerning than like the relationship happening in Twilight. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, not a better love story than Twilight. Yeah. Uh, So we got number threes. Yes. Uh, My number three is just the the great little montage of reactions and the mood, the heavy mood as R2 and Chewie vocally are freaking out as the rebels close the shield doors. You see Leia, Leia like quietly worried. C-3PO has to amend R2's odds on Luke mm-hmm. and Han's survival. And juxtapose that with moments later. Ah, oh, and I thought they smelled bad on the outside. <laughs> yeah. Chewie kind of wailing and then resting his head against like the, the landing strut or whatever there. That's a, you know, they, I mean, they really, Chewie has a huge elevation in this movie, I feel like. Like, he, he becomes so much more soulful. He's kind of becomes the heart of the team. I think so, too, which is funny because I went back and I looked at Roger Ebert's like, original review, and he kind of he kind of flags, like, Chewie as, as the outlier, the thing that doesn't make sense or doesn't hmm. work. Like, he's like, what kind of long, like, midnight conversations can Han and Chewie really have on the Falcon? <laughs> Oh, I truly have awesome conversations. And that's what's so fun about Chewie is that it's all tone from him. You know, you can only react to the the tone of his growls because you don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And then Han just kind of, you know, gives us an indication of what he's talking about. But I would like to juxtapose like something like the Captain America trailer where Chewie has to ask Han why he's riding out there. And and Han's like, Chewie, Luke's my friend. And Chewie's (laughs) like, (laughs) Exactly. Uh, so my number three is when Yoda reveals kind of his his true identity to Luke in his hut. There, um, it's just amazing acting for a puppet. Uh, it's mm-hmm. completely believable. He feels like one hundred percent a real character, and just the scene itself. I mean, Yoda is so good in this movie. Just his kind of you know, like he transforms from this kind of like goofy wacky little like character into like this very serious wise old bean Mm. Uh, i love that scene so one of my one of my favorite bits of trivia and the trivia from this movie is fantastic is that george lucas was so blown away by frank uh frank oz's work that he spent thousands upon thousands of dollars trying to get him an oscar nomination Uh, 
And it makes me think back to like. Did like, he? Was there anything for him? I no. No? <laughs> I wasn't sure. Like, cause I know they got like a special award for Ben Burt and the. Uh... Nobody would take it seriously because he was a puppeteer. And, and Frank Oz finally had to like tell George Lucas, I'm okay with this. Like, <laughs> it's you not don't have happen. to do this. Um, and it made me think of like all the, the shows like Andy Circus years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tying it all back into Star Wars. I do think this is a little bit different from Andy Circus. Oh, without a doubt. Andy Serkis has like a team of animators working on his performance as well. You could also say that uh, Frank Oz continued, even as a director, his puppeteer work, uh, like to the score, you know, like mm-hmm. like directing the the lifeless blob that was Marlon Brando at that point. <laughs> uh, my number two moment is quite simply Luke and Vader fighting, reveal the father. Oh, yeah. The hand, that whole sequence, everything there at the end of Cloud City. I mean, true story. The first time I ever said a bad word as a kid was the first time I watched this movie. And when <laughs> Vader cuts off Luke hand, Luke's hand, I went, oh, shit. <laughs> and I, I remember like feeling that shame that you secretly feel for a moment as a kid, the first time you ever cuss, and then feeling that excitement. And then being like generally concerned for Luke Skywalker again, because I could not believe that they just cut off his hand, as well as you know, reveal to him that his greatest villain is his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's my number two as well. Just Vader's reveal to Luke. I mean, it's it's legendary. This is, this will never be top. This is the greatest twist of all time. Yep. And I, it's like it can only have been done once. And ever after, it's it's always going to be an imitation of The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, it's shocking. It explains so much about Vader's character up to that point and why he, you know, a little bit of why he behaved the way he behaved. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, man, what a fantastic moment. Yeah. It's just a, a climax, both in like the action sense and like character and emotional sense. It well, and it it's this is the heart of the movie, though. Like this is because the, the story is Anakin Skywalker's story over the course of six movies, and like this is this is not just like revealing to the audience the first time. It's it's the regret that will come of it. Sets up perfectly your third movie. It's I don't even care about like the new Death Star or Endor or any of that stuff. Really, mm-hmm. it's you you're. Definitely concerned of what happens when Luke and Vader meet again, knowing all that they know. Um, See, this is what concerns me about Colin Trevorrow being the Episode Nine director. It's like, it's like an acknowledgement that, like, well, the third movie, the movie in the trilogy, won't be as good as the previous two. Hmm. Which I kind of feel like with Return of the Jedi, I like the movie, but it it feels like they're like, ah, eh, let's just get this over with a little bit, you know? Yeah, quite possibly. Um, so my number one, uh, I think you can probably guess. It's uh, I love you. I know. I know. <laughs> In addition to being visually gorgeous, this is the height mm-hmm. of like space opera, super melodrama. And contrary to popular belief, this was not like ad libbed. This was carefully worked out with uh, 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 Harrison Ford and Irvin Kirshner. Well, you know, that's um, most ad libs. They don't just like use the take. It's like they'll come up with something and be like, okay, let's. Let's workshop that for a little while, and then let's do a version of that. It's not like they just like randomly do it in the middle of the shot and like, yeah, let's keep that. Well, yeah, it's not it's not like a Judd Apatow comedy yeah, yeah. where you can just riff for two hours and everyone's just going to sit there and let you, you know, do that. Uh, but it's because they had contract uh, Harry Fisher and Mark Hamill for three movies. Harrison Ford, you know, was on the fence about coming back for the next one. He wanted to die. He didn't. I think the original line was like. Just remember you said that, Leia, because I'm coming back or something like that. Wasn't it like, I love you too for a while? I think it was that, but then I think it was like, it was just affirming, like, I'm coming back, babe. Or no, that's terrible. It's, yeah, and it's like, I'm sure that looked great on the page to somebody, but yeah. 
Yeah. My number one is the asteroid field sequence. It is my favorite piece of John Williams music. It is my favorite sequence in any Star Wars movie. They'd be I, crazy to follow us. I think it's just perfect. Uh, the score, the visuals, it's thrilling and fascinating. There's like a, a kind of grace to it as the Falcon soars, you know, over the asteroids. It's everything you want in an exciting chase sequence. I remember, you know, like there's there's dramatic things that happen. There's like, you know, Vader cutting off Luke's hand and like my jaw dropping. My jaw also dropped the loop to loop that the Falcon does to then come back into the to then fly into the little hole. Mm hmm. I was just like, wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I love the way the Falcon flies. And a lot of that is because of the limitations of model work, but it ends up making the way the Falcon flies seem so interesting. Mm -hmm. Which I like that they're, they're doing some of that. You can see in the trailers of The Force Awakens, even though now that the Falcon CG, they can have it do anything they want. They're still making it kind of glide and soar the way it does, like right. the, the old models. Yeah. So those are my top moments. Any complaints? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, my make one change is not a fucking thing. Yeah. I mean, I, if I were to really nitpick, I'd say that if you, they could have shot the cave scene, that the vision there at a higher frame rate so the slow motion doesn't look as choppy, that would have mm -hmm. been cool, but, you know, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, With the special edition, I... You know, the thing that bothered me the most, I think, was some of the extra stuff added to Cloud City. Like, it just seems too nice and utopian to me. I mean, I guess it's supposed to seem like a nicer city. Although you have to wonder how nice would it be if you can win it in a card game? Well, like, I think there's like a very subtle indication that this, I don't mean like the, the clients, they don't want a lot of attention. Mm hmm. They've had labor. I mean, it sounds like it's almost like a like, like a funded by the mafia enterprise. <laughs> so uh, to me, it's like making it look like basically floating Coruscant in space. Like just it yeah bothers me. Yeah, the design stuff it didn't bother me as much, but just any time they added anything, like we don't need to see Vader taking a shuttle to the Star Story. Like it just we can we can just figure out that he got there. Yeah. You know, it's. I feel like that was put in there for the type of people who are like, how did Bruce Wayne get back to Gotham City? It's like, he did. He's Bruce Wayne, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, Vader, obviously, he got to his shuttle. You, you don't really and need to see everything happen there. Like, oh, here's another landing pad sequence. Since you brought it up, in The Dark Knight Rises, how Bruce Wayne got back to Gotham City in a, in a quick amount of time, got into the city, like, with no money, is not as confusing to me as how he does the awesome like a gasoline symbol thing on the bridge <laughs> like that is the one where i'm just like how the fuck did you do that let, let no me explain it to you i can explain to you in two simple words batman. he's batman yeah. <laughs> yeah uh but yeah no no complaints really i love this movie so yeah. uh normally we talk about source material obviously there is none i mean i think they wrote the Splinter of the Mind's Eye book is like a low-budget sequel version that they never used. I've never read that book. Have you? I have. It is trash. Yeah. Um, and I normally like Alan Dean Foster back when I was just like a, a devourer of like paperback science fiction. That is a book, though, that has an amazing cover. Like the original cover. I I just I remember getting that from the library as a kid and just like staring at it before I ever read it because it's just such an awesome talisman, like the promise of what Star Wars could be. Mm -hmm. Um not a great would not have been a great movie at all. Um well it's designed to be like a low budget sequel. 
Yeah, right. it would be a very low budget. I mean, but like it's the the things it says about the force, like they run into like another like old a female Jedi master hmm. who's a bit of a scoundrel. I mean, it's dumb. Um, so I want the nerd scoop on Han running into that bounty hunter on Ord Mantel. I don't. I like that they just mentioned that. Well, There's... I figure you know it though. I figured you've read it. Oh, um, no, I never have actually read that. There's vague mentions to it in various other you know star wars books and whatnot i think there is like or at least there was a canon story before they wiped out the old eu but i've never actually read it uh just like mentions to it i i love the promise that it suggests though that whatever happened with that bounty hunter ord mantel it changed han's mind well and you introduced the concept of bounty hunters which will come up later in the movie which i have to agree with that imperial officer they seem like real scum Real fucking scum. Uh, so little bits of trivia before we get into stream musings. There's well, a let me let there. me just um just a little bit more world building. I feel like there's some interesting stuff that this adds to the universe. Just want to talk about a little bit. Right. Uh, number one is just the force. Mm-hmm. We get so much more on how the force works. Like the telekinesis is a part of it now. Some like kind of long range communication between people. Mm-hmm. Um. And just uh, an expansion of what the dark side is exactly. Because it's mentioned in the first movie, but it's just like, oh, it's the dark side. You don't know, like, the idea that emotions will lead you to the dark side. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lightsabers can cut through anything. I think this is the first time we really saw a lightsaber cut something. Oh, I've seen it cut off hands and arms. In what movie? The first one? Okay, yeah, it did cut off an arm. That's right, yeah. Um... But we see it like cut through like, you know, like metal struts and whatnot. Mm. Uh, get the first appearance of Rogue Squadron, mm. my favorite squadron. Uh, we get Bacta tanks, which of course took on huge significance in the EU. That's basically how you give your characters all sorts of life-threatening injuries and then just magically heal them right up. Kind of a shame though that you're in the sick bay, stuck in a diaper, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. floating this warm jelly. Like it's just all there on display. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I, get... I don't know why I thought of that. I thought of this scene where the dude gets the tattoo and Starship Troopers and the friends come in and <laughs> pour like like whiskey on his <laughs> on his fresh tattoo. I don't know why I thought of that when I was yeah, yeah. Well, he he's in a kind of a back tank, back the tank. I mean, they're yeah. they're like rebuilding his like leg or whatever. Well, I, mean, I think you could definitely say that uh, uh, the fascist joy of Verhaven's adaptation of Starship Troopers has a little bit of Empire Strikes Back's inspiration. Oh, yeah. yeah, we also get Super Star Destroyers. Yes. The executor there. Get the tie bombers. I mean, so much of this stuff is just pure, like, here's a new toy. Mm-hmm. But we totally eat it up because it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, tie bombers, those all seem really neat to me. Uh, the ion cannon and the whole concept of the ion cannon. And they don't totally communicate with this in the movie, but it's basically it knocks out electronics as mm. opposed to doing like, like physical damage. Like an EMP blaster. Kind of, yeah. It's like... You, you know, you knock out the electronics and whatnot of a spaceship rather than just like blowing a hole in it with a laser blast. See, a lot of the stuff I have in my notes as we as we do our, our stray musings, especially the ATATs, mm-hmm. which are immediately iconic. Uh, you almost don't want to think about them too hard. <laughs> yeah, the walkers. Yeah. You just have to go with it. Uh, you get Vader's hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, we actually see like that. There's there is someone under there. He's not a droid. You see that um, weird skin graft on the back of his head. Yeah. We see that droids do have to be charged eventually. R2 gets a charge there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Londo apparently runs like a non-union shop. 
Mm-hmm. Not a part of the guild. Lobot. Yeah. And I still think carbonite freezing is an untapped story concept. Uh, just the idea that you can freeze someone carbonite and thaw them out later. I think there there's more they could do there if they wanted to. So did we talk on the last one that we have a Star Wars podcast that we do? We do. I mean, you probably shouldn't listen to it. But... Probably shouldn't listen to it? Yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's not great. I I'm not ashamed of us when we talked about all <laughs> six of the star wars movies before uh and then uh you 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 should take a bow for your episode with your suggestion for what <laughs> the plot for episode seven should be which in, which involved carbonite freezing i feel like we, i had some the oliphant yeah well obviously uh i feel like i had some good ideas there it wasn't it was very half-baked but you know i still like those ideas yeah the idea of being able to carbonite unfreeze somebody perhaps from a different time period, I think would be very cool. <laughs> All right. So uh, you had some just trivia some, you want to get into? Just some little bits of trivia. I'm sure it'll be more that I'll think of as we go on. There's a comedian called Matt Gorley who does a flawless, flawless Urban Kirshner impression. How would you know? Uh, the commentary. Okay. Yeah. Plus, I've, I've seen interviews of Urban Kirshner. Uh, also, a reminder, Kirshner also directed The Eyes of Laura Mars, which is a ridiculous 80s uh, horror movie starring Faye Dunaway, and the unofficial James Bond movie, Never Say Never Again, the last Sean Connery James Bond movie. Nice. Um, I always forget that he directed that. Also, my absolute favorite bit of trivia is when Kirshner takes George aside for a moment, seeking clarification on a scene, trying to grasp where it's all going, you know, on the moment in the day, and George just whips out the blueprints for Skywalker Ranch and explains <laughs> that this is where it's all going. Mm-hmm. Kirchner's like, this doesn't help me at all. <laughs> well, you know, the the kind of authorship of this movie is always in, in the most debate, I think, of any of the Star Wars movies, just because this is considered by many to be the best Star Wars movie, and it's kind of like who who gets the credit there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Lucas was definitely involved, but I think Kirshner really had a vision for this movie and I think it really comes through and my favorite thing about the production of this movie is that when they got the script he sat down with the storyboard artist and he storyboarded every single scene mm-hmm. like right from the start and I think it just makes such a difference you can see how considered the shots are mm-hmm. um, sometimes you watch a movie and it's like did they even storyboard this or do they just you know kind of get in different shots and different angles for fun mm-hmm. I mean, Kirshner was George's uh, UCLA film professor, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Or UC, USC. Yeah, USC. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more. Like, I was just reading something about uh, uh, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher getting drunk of Eric Idle <laughs> on some kind of crazy fucking hooch before they filmed the Cloud City scene, and that's why she seems so giddy in this one scene. Did you happen to read any of, like, the like interviews that entertainment weekly was doing yesterday with the cast. No, I haven't yet. And you know, they kind of split the cast up into two groups and the, the group with Carrie Fisher in it, she just basically took it over. It was hilarious. Mm. Like she's, she's on fire and basically they're like, yeah, there's no drinking on this set. This wasn't nearly as fun as, uh, you know, the old star Wars movies. Uh, yeah, definitely on my bucket list would be to like party of Carrie Fisher. <laughs> I think that'd be a really fun bender. Well, she has like a dog that she takes everywhere with her now. Even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she like she takes it like on stage, like talk shows for interviews and whatnot. She just brings a dog with her. Absolutely. Absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our general discussion here. Um, this movie, of course, starts with the Empire because all the OT movies did. 
Um, it is a dark time for the rebellion. I love that opening line of the crawl. Mm. You know, on Hoff, it doesn't even remotely bother me how cheesy like the Wendigo thing looks at times. Oh, the 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 Wampa. Yeah, I love it. I love the the Tauntauns. Like look fantastic. I it's they look real to me. They're, I think they they do such a good job of blending the stop motion with the puppetry that. Yeah, and and I think the sound effects really add a lot to it, where you just buy into it. Yeah, in your face, Ray Ray Harryhausen. Um, are Tauntauns indigenous to Hoff? That's a good question. I mean, I don't think so. They also, they must just be some sort of animal that like is good in the cold or something. Well, I mean, are the rebels just hiding on Hoff, or is there like a strategic value to this frozen toilet? Didn't seem like there is a ton of strategic value. I mean, it seems like a lot of work had to go into this base. I mean, they're just basically finishing setting it up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they're like, on they the run. Just, they just got the sensors there. Like, the rest of the base, it seems like it's fully, like, constructed. It's probably but, mostly just, like, an operations center and, like, place for them to stash their their equipment and whatnot. I guess. Um, I love the sound effects of the ProDroid. Yeah. I love the ProDroid. The way it, it drifts around, it's like a mechanical jellyfish. It's such mm -hmm. a cool, creepy design. Mm-hmm. It's all arms and stuff. Yeah. Like, also, huh. I was going to say, Luke has an Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Um, but later on, I love the crazy, like, double antenna 80s, like, communicator thing that Han has. Mm -hmm. Like, it's one of those things that, like, you would hang it in the shower to get, like, AM radio <laughs> or something. Um, for a moment there at the beginning of their thing, I love that Han and Leia are, like, they're kind of subversion of tropes. Like, Han gets emotional and storms off because he just wants validation. Well, Leia's the silent type. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, bros need validation. <laughs> Don't get all mushy on me. So long, princess. Uh, well, just the way this movie starts, it's like, hey, here's all these familiar characters. Totally different environment. We're not really explaining it. Uh, it's just like, wow, this is cool. They're like ice cowboys or something now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, this is this is what life is like three years later. Mm -hmm. Well, and the, I got to say the sets for the Hoth base are just fantastic. Yeah. Like that's what a real set looks like. It looks big and cavernous and so much detail in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the speeders that they fly in Hoth, but are they only for like atmospheric travel? Well, not according to the video games. Well, actually, oh yeah. Atmospheric travel, but not just snow travel. But yeah, I, I don't think you can go into space with them. Okay. I mean, I thought they were cool. I mean, if they just like suddenly like aim that thing up and gone to the <laughs> stars, I would have been awesome with it. Well, there's a, a fun kind of, I mean, there's cynicism here. It's like, oh, that's a new toy. But it's like, yeah, but it's awesome. So yeah. I don't care. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's there's things where I would, you know, like, like so I put together like the Lego Millennium Falcon and it was awesome. Mm -hmm. I would absolutely go and put together other Lego stuff if it wasn't expensive, if I didn't have, you know, a lack of space for it, if I just the fact that I don't really mm -hmm. need it. But also to me, it gets into like a scale thing. Like yeah, I, have, yeah. I have my Millennium Falcon toy or whatever my lego thing i want my death star one to like take up my entire <laughs> apartment <laughs> can you imagine if it was your job to put together legos wouldn't that be like the greatest job in the world uh we have a friend who's basically like a, a walter white of legos mm -hmm. and uh he had he tried to show me all these videos about the the engineers the lego engineers or whatever who mm -hmm. who take pre-existing lego shit and try to like work these things out and then like they like it's like they're frowned upon to make uh uh other <laughs> like like the creation of new lego pieces but mm, yeah yeah also uh like uh in apple stores and lego stores the people are called block masters i learned block recently masters. that's block. awesome um laser brain is a great slur 
but so <laughs> is calling someone a scruffy half-witted nerf herder. Yeah, that that whole scene. Um, <laughs> you remember that? Three PO. That band though. <laughs> oh, nerf herder. It was was it, it was they did the David, Buffy theme. Yeah, that's right. Was it also the David Lee Roth song or the Sammy Hagar song? I, yeah, they, I think they did that one too. <laughs> um, you know what I love about this movie is how how everyone's welding constantly in it. Like like even Chewie's got like a welder there. He's using his goggles. Like I don't know what he's doing. Obviously, it's something cool and technical and important. The the physical acting involved, but also just Han's whole thing with the droids there is amazing. Like yeah. putting his finger up for the one to shut up. While he's well, just like, to Hold on a sec. Let me talk to him. Yeah. But like then like covering C3PO's mouth. <laughs> when I really think Chewie in this movie, he they make him seem like a, a smart, intelligent being. Like in the first one, he's just like growly and like, you know. Like he's, you know, he'll rip your arms off. He's irrational. And here he's like welding. He sees he has like a technical genius to him. I feel like it's a big upgrade for Chewie. But all like you also said, he's sensitive. Mm-hmm. There's a heart there. Um, My general issue of Leia in this movie, um, who is massively different than she was. I mean, she's older. She's obviously experienced some more. Uh, other than like the little bits of snappy repartee, she's quieter in this movie. She's more observant, more mature. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like. The thing that annoys me, but also fascinates me, is it's like at times her attraction to Han has robbed her of her voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you could say that. Um, well, it's, she doesn't. She doesn't want that sort of weakness. I guess you would say. Right. Well, and she has to constantly evaluate. Like, this is the fucking asshole. Yes, <laughs> that I'm your drawn kindness. to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just a reminder. I mean, you can't. You, people make fun of it. We get it, but like, you cannot shy away like that. She gives her bro a serious smooch to make this <laughs> dude jealous. I think this movie is the reason why. Whenever there's like an incest plotline in uh, television or movies now, I'm just like, eh. Like, it's like, yeah, I'm a Star Wars fan. Kind of used to it. I'm used to incest. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, uh, you know, CC kissed her brother. Eh. <laughs> That's why he's so frustrated. I'm related. Am I crazy? Or is Leia possibly more attractive in this movie than than all the rest? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, it's it's a sticky situation to talk about the gold bikini. Um, I like Carrie Fisher's reaction to it, but it's, you know, I don't know. I mean, this movie and maybe Force Awakens on the hot scale, right? Yes, for sure. <laughs> also, uh, the, that probe that you were talking about, no argument about it. Han shot second here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like how Han, like, you can just peace out of the rebellion if you need to. Yeah. They're just like, that's cool. Thanks for, thanks for chipping in. Yeah. I hate to lose you. Be, I want the general to be like, we have to jump you out. Mm-hmm. Um, They really, like, really enjoy showing you how big the Super Star Destroyer is compared to the regular Star Destroyers. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that whole sequence um, where you... You know, slowly see these other Star Destroyers being like overshadowed by this massive, massive Super Star Destroyer. Also, uh, Julian Glover as General Veers. He pops up a lot. Was he was the voice of Aragog in the Harry Potter movies, among right. many other things. Bond sh- villain, Game of Thrones, uh, Indiana Last Jones. Crusade. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure we talked about this during Harry Potter, but it still mm-hmm. amazes me. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this on t- Twitter. Uh, just. Pity the poor slobs who have to work constantly around Han and Leia yeah. with all that like unresolved sexual intent, uh, tension just yeah. constantly. Like if one of them is just like, Jesus Christ, with these two fuck already. Well, like 
It's the thing that's lacking from uh, uh, Katniss and Gale, you know, like in District 13. Just yeah, imagine, they had no sexual chemistry at all. Imagine like what it is at like the mess hall in the Hoff base. <laughs> <laughs> They've all, they must have like bets going, right? I mean, I'm sure there's like Team Luke and Team Han people. I wonder, you know, in those kind of confined spaces, what is what is the metric of people like shacking up slash to just like furiously masturbating? Yeah. Well, um, I like um, like I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Poe, uh, Oscar Isaac's character in Force Awakens, he's like he's a war baby. Yeah, he's born on Yavin. Yeah. <laughs> Which I want to go back to New Hope now and see if we can just pinpoint the exact moment he was conceived. <laughs> It's right before they died. Yeah. Right before they went off to like to potentially die attacking the uh, Death Star. Oh uh, uh, yeah, I love the bro-by between between Han and Luke as they head to their ships. Oh yeah, they're just kind of silent moment there. Yeah. Head nod. Um can't can't uh, pass up a chance to say, I just assume kiss a Wookiee. <laughs> I can arrange that. You could use a good kiss. <laughs> Which is such it's a dick line, but it's I don't know. This is this is where it's like, yes. Like, this would be weird, except these two people are into each other, so we kind of forgive it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm thankful that Han isn't, like, telling her to smile more. Yeah. You know, you'd just be pretty if you smiled more. It's not like he's catcalling her on the street, thank God. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could see where there is probably somebody in the base who's constantly going to HR and filing sexual harassment claims. Who is the HR person in the rebellion? Like R2? I feel like it's C-3PO. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He's he's hated just as much as Toby on The Office. No! No! (laughs) Well, R2 and 3PO, they apparently like uh, melted the ice and... Uh, princess leia's chambers and got all her clothes wet i like that that's just like an offhand line they throw in their introduction yeah i like uh like i said vader's like solitude hyperbaric pad um oh, i want to want to throw in just a little headcanon how like han comes back and he's yelling at uh chewie for you know taking this stuff apart my, my headcanon there is that chewie's doing that on purpose because he doesn't want han to leave mm, makes sense i just let that i turn it off i don't want to talk to her and three fifths <laughs> like oh well <laughs> well and also just that wampa for a moment how did that wampa get luke to be frozen upside down like how that's how amazing was that accomplished yeah that's amazing Do you have a hose like, that is amazing and it's like there's so much about that like uh so i guess the way they shot that one scene by the way is is mark hamill threw the lightsaber and they just ran the footage in reverse but yeah. like is is the wampa wanting all the blood to rush to his his victim's head I just want to know how he got that frozen up there. Like, did he hold a fire up there to melt it and then, like, stick Luke up and, like, just hold him there until, like... That doesn't seem like that would work either. I don't know, man. I'm just wondering. It's the magic of wampas. Hey, man. They may be dumb beasts, but they're pretty clever with ice. Shit is weird north of the wall. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to mention the environments in this movie, too. Like, you really feel them. Like, the the coldness of Hoth, uh, like the rain on Dagobah, the wind on Cloud City, like these environments all feel so tactile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... And then Kenobi shows up, first Force Ghost appearance, Luke's about to die, and it's just like, oh, you need to go here. And Luke's just like, I'm dying, and he's like, yeah, later. <laughs> die on your own time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, um, cutting open the Tauntaun to stick Luke inside, that just 
fascinated me as a kid. Like it just, there's something about that that I can't get enough of. It's to me that just like made perfect, like, you know, kid logic to me. Like, oh yeah, you'd keep warm by sticking yourself inside of a dead animal. I'm sure that like somebody like Bear Grylls will say this is what made him want to go drink his mm-hmm. own piss yeah. on reality TV. Um, and then, you know, conversely, over in like the super sheen, nice aesthetic of the the Empire, you've got the badass move where Vader kills one admiral over video chat while chit chatting with his replacement in his hyperbaric chamber. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, and I, I have to warn you. I should apologize. I made so many fucking notes on this, so I'm gonna. I'm going to just keep bringing up shit because it's my favorite movie. Okay. Um, 3PO when Leia kisses Luke. Just the way he looks back and forth between uh, Han and Leia. Just like, oh, you seeing this? What, what are you going to do about this? Yeah, yeah. Hilarious. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, the cockpit shots and the snow speeders mm-hmm. are just awesome. Like the way they kind of like it feels like you're really in them, like kind of gliding and hovering over the snow. It's not it's not just like a a flat glide they're like moving up and down constantly it's just really cool they have harpoons yeah that always well, makes me they have harpoons and and tail gunners i, I do like the addition yeah <laughs> you know one thing they never showed in new hope is apparently y wings are two seaters but you never really see like I, I guess they're just being flown by one person mm. i you have to have a hell of a constitution as a pilot i think to fly in one of these things in the reverse position I don't know. I feel like you get so sick to your stuff. It's like a tail gunner, basically, right? I guess. I don't know. I I don't think like 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 human pilots could quite really conceive like the realistic aspect of some of these atmospheres and what it'd be flying like. I mean, they have video games, but no, they have adaptitude or whatever. Hmm. Um, what's one thing I wanted to mention? Um, oh yeah, I like how they brief Leia on the probe droid. Like, even though her role, it's like, was she just like the political leader of the base? It's not totally clear. Is she basically like royalty for the rebellion? Yeah. Besides like a, like a mascot for them. Like everybody, she's not technically in charge, but like all deference is given to her. I'm always, I'm always fascinated by the hierarchy of these rebellious organizations. Mm -hmm. Like, obviously there's something going, like I'm watching like Man of the High Castle now and there's something going on that they're like terrorist cells essentially. But like here... Is it because, you know, she's like the the royalty that somehow comes from being the offspring of a of a political figure that they just kind of shuffle her in when they when they find a position for her? Well, she was a senator. So, I mean, she has political clout. That's true. She was a senator in addition to being a, a princess. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's just that kind of rebellion where they're like, it's like Princess Leia is Princess Leia. They're going to read her in on anything that's important. Yeah, I mean, well, and they they do a pretty good job too of making her a leadership role. She's not just a figurehead; she is briefing people later. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have you know faith in her judgment. Uh, she's obviously a better leader than like someone like Han. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this is I guess this is another organization where we have like probably like I don't know two thousand generals <laughs> and also some pilots. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Oh, you know, one thing we forgot to mention in that introduction to the executor there, the Imperial March. Yeah. One yeah. of the one of the great pieces of music uh, in John Williams' uh, oeuvre. Which he just, he just tosses off. Yeah. It's, it's like 20 minutes in the movie. It's like, oh, hey, here's Vader, by the way, and his awesome new theme song. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, I think you and I both have that somewhere in our stable of ringtones. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I have the asteroid feel because that is my absolute favorite. No. Okay. Um, 
I love the dirty look that Admiral Ozzo gives to Captain Piet after Piet kind of goes over his head, but not totally because like Vader wants to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, thanks a lot, asshole. Well, I like Vader doesn't say do not come out of hyperspace too close to the planet. He just punishes the Admiral for doing so with death. This is a very oh, brutal a, management style. It's a bad move. Should have done a better job, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I like how it's all like I don't know criticism after the fact. There's no, there's I no just, real sense of like what you should do in this task. <laughs> you are in command now, Admiral Piet. I love yeah. that. He just like points at him. There's a lot of pointing by Vader in this movie. Yeah, like just the way he starts that line with Captain Piet and ends it with Admiral Piet. Yeah. It's just like holy shit. This is a great villain. Yeah. Um, another thing I love about this movie, the, the continuing saga of the Falcon's repairs, mm-hmm. it works so well as a subplot. Uh, it makes everything just feel desperate. You know, they're constantly working on this thing. It never works the way it's supposed to. It's it's so much more fun than if like everything just worked perfectly. Well, it's it's something I forgot. The line I forgot, which made me think of it when we talked about New Hope last week, when uh, Uncle Owen needs the the protocol droid to mm-hmm. negotiate. <laughs> With one of the other machines. Like here Han needs C-3PO to talk to the computer to figure out what's wrong. Very peculiar dialect. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Computers uh, are things you have droids talk to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, love I, the technology in this. Universe. I mean I have notes later on as we get into it. About just the lot that the droids have in life. Because I'm, I'm. I don't know. I mean I feel like talking about racism in Star Wars is a short conversation. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 all there. You you know exactly what you're dealing with. The the droids, though, as an exploited class, fascinate me endlessly. Well, and just that they're robots, and yet like robots have friends. You know, like like three people and R two are friends with each other, even though they're robots. I love that. Well, they have emotions. They have mm-hmm. interpersonal relationships, which you could say add value to the work you do. But well, on that, they like they'll still have like conversations and and disagreements with their you know nominal masters, like. Like R2 telling Luke he doesn't think it's a good idea to go to Dagobah. Well, but they're programmed to feel pain. They mm-hmm. have a sense of their own mortality. They fear for it. But then it gets me to those things. is like, why would you, as a programmer, as a creator of this, this machine, why would you program it to be able to scream in pain? <laughs> <laughs> but there it is. Because, I mean, yeah, the, all like the kind of philosophical uh, philosophical implications of robots are just completely brushed aside in these movies but i mean okay so is how the humans treat the droids is this a, a pseudo racial backlash to the madness that the separatist droid army unleashed in the galaxy during the clone wars yeah i mean you can like retcon headcan that in if you wanted i guess i mean side question were the droids also programmed to hate their bodies i don't know <laughs> what are you getting at i don't know <laughs> But I mean, I would love to see the ship that lands the ATATs on like a planet. Like, also, there's no aerial. I always figured they like landed themselves as like dropships or something. There's no aerial assault by the Empire on Hoth. They just land these fuckers. Well, because the because of the shield, Admiral Ozzel came out too close to the system. They got their shield up. <laughs> so they had to send them in on foot to blow up the shield generator. Also, I love that Vader appears in a full body image, but tiny as a hologram on General Veers' dashboard in the at <laughs> It looks like the kind of thing you could swat, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Like, to me, that's the one moment where it kind of takes away from Vader's awesome authority. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Vader's just like, what are you doing with your hands? Are you squeezing my hologram face? I'll choke you, bitch. This three-inch little man is giving me orders. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, we got to talk about Dak. Yeah. I love Dak. It's such a, it's very effective characterization for such a quick introduction. It's like, here's one scene with this guy, just so you'll feel a little bit sad when he dies. Yeah. He's like, Luke, I'm going to be dead in five minutes, right? It looks like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. I feel like I take on the whole empire myself. Um, I, when they went back to the like command center in the half base as you know, crushed and things are falling apart, I laughed so hard that in the foreground you get the crushed and dead white C3PO. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, they have all these ground troops. What are those going to do against an ATAT? Yeah, exactly. Like they're all in trenches. Like, what are you expecting? Well, I mean, if you can knock the ATAT on its ass, then it suddenly is impervious to laser blasts. Mm hmm. I mean, a lot of it is ridiculous, but it looks so cool. Well, they got to hit the chink, like right between the head and the, yeah. the body or whatever. Um, another another random character shows up is Jansen, which is Gunner. I love Jansen. He's, he's a big character in the EU. I believe one of the shots of our, or one of the titles of our podcast was Nice Shot Jansen, right? Mm -hmm. um, I I remember feeling the same anxiety of R2, D2, and C3PO getting split up as I did when Sun and Jim get split up on Lost. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, R2, it, they kind of infer that he flies Luke's X-Wing to the staging area. Well, yeah, that's my that's another thing, too, I wrote my thing. is like, nice that they just kind of pushed Luke's X-Wing outside for him to find. Well, I think R2 flies it. I mean, I, I can tell you, at least in the EU, R2 will fly Luke's X-Wing from time to time. When, like, Luke's taking a nap? The well, well, I mean, he, he obviously, he's awake when Luke does, like, he'll, you know, go Jedi trance for, like, a long hyperspace flight. But also, like... Like, R2 will, you know, Luke will park his X-Wing somewhere, and then he, like, calls R2 by comlink, and he's like, hey, you know, get me out of here. And so R2 flies the X-Wing over, and Luke gets in. Mm. Which, to me, makes sense. He should be able to. He's an astronaut droid, you know? I well, mean, he, also, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be, like, flying a Death Star run, but he can at least move the ship around. Well, and Luke did say he wanted to not put on autopilot. Mm -hmm. He wanted to man the controls himself a little bit. Well, I gotta say, the, the Hoth battle, one of the great video game scenarios of all time. Mm. I've never played a version of the Hoth battle that wasn't super fun. Just like flying speeders around a walker with the harpoon and tow cable. It's but so think, much fun. I think it's it's not just that though. It's a larger it's a larger field though because then you also have the fact that you have to get off this planet and there's like a shit ton. There's like a fleet just waiting to crush you. Mm. I mean, the Empire deserves to lose just because the Millennium Falcon can maneuver in such a way that two of their giant <laughs> ships almost crash into each other. Well, so Luke must have taken like the right exit vector off that planet. Did he just like go on the other side of the planet? He's <laughs> like, fuck you assholes. I don't know what you're doing, Han. There's nobody covering this hemisphere. But I mean, it's like it's as they're exiting Hoff, you realize that the pace of this movie is just fucking amazing. I mean, there's like there's such a thrilling chase aspect as they leave Hoff. Mm -hmm. um, well, the the whole escape is so thrilling. Just you know the Imperial troops of the base, you know that, and like Leia ordering everyone to evacuate. It's like the good guys are just they're on the run. It's really compelling. Well, and just putting putting that big action sequence at the start of your movie and mm -hmm. not the end is amazing. Well, and then Luke with his uh, his harpoon up to the the walker's belly. Yeah, that's just so fucking cool. Yeah, uh, I love that. What else? <laughs> I mean, to me, that that's more impressive than anything Anakin Skywalker does in the prequels. As taking flying, out a walker by himself. As they're flying around, I hope you know what you're doing. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> <laughs> like the way Han flies is only by the seat of his pants. Oh, of course. Well, did you notice that? Uh, there's like a big explosion in Hoth and 3PO falls into Han's arms and he catches him briefly in the background. Yeah. I always like that. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, I mean, Han, he's supposed to quit the rebellion, but somehow he's just turned into Leia's personal bodyguard. I was like that. Yeah. And I was just like the, the way he says Falcon instead of Falcon. Mm-hmm. That always delighted me mm-hmm. as a kid. Well, so then I love the fact that Star Wars is a series that wherever you go, there's a monster. There's a monster in the trash compactor. <laughs> there's a monster in the swamp. There's a monster in the cavernous chasm of the asteroids you're chilling in. There's even like a snake holding around the gear that Luke rescues from his crash X-Wing and Dagobah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'd ever noticed that before, but he's just he's just hanging out there by that swamp. And there's like a snake just moving over his shit. Mm-hmm. There's another one he pulls off of the X-Wing after they get it out of the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like in the engine. Um, yeah. Would it help if I got out and pushed? It might. Chewie, take the professor in the back and plug him into the hyperdrive. I mean, the Falcon becomes such a character in this movie. Yeah. Just banging on it. Yeah. <laughs> start. Well, it's just the, the fucking toolbox thing. <laughs> yeah. The way it falls on him. It's, it's just these little moments this movie has that are just so genuine and clever it's god it's really so good well but you know like the thing is we talk about Chekhov's gun for the purpose of like fiction and storytelling you never talk about how like so much of comedy is directly like like tied into mm-hmm. Chekhov's gun of course if you set the, the toolbox right there it's gonna fall on Han's head yeah well yeah i mean the one thing i noticed the effects on luke's crash on dagobah they're really good considering yeah, like it really, and the same thing for when he crashes on Hoth, like it's from the cockpit perspective, and it's like, wow, that actually just looked like we saw. It's like, how did they do that? You know, I don't know. Yeah. They did it somehow. Uh, I don't know if models or what, but it, it looks real. Did you look at Luke's dinner on Dagobah? It's like an energy bar or something, wasn't it's it? It's like Cheetos and like C's candy. It's awesome rations. <laughs> Those ra- that little ration box always fascinated me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a it's a nice little meal there, and, ret- and that's the meal you get for Christmas. In retrospect, this it's a weird affect that Yoda adopts when he meets Luke. I love it. I mean, and is it is it a little possible that the sadness and the solitude and the talking that goes has gotten him to step outside himself a little bit? A little bit. And I think you know the obvious thing is he's testing Luke here. He wants to see how Luke reacts as somebody who he considers his inferior, and he treats him like shit. Yeah, you failed, Luke. Um, but all credit to Mark Hamill here. He spends almost the whole movie. Acting against droids, puppets, and someone in a mask. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't get a whole lot of feedback acting-wise, but he does a great job. Right. Oh, I love seeing Yoda hitting R2 with the cane. Oh, the the last little whack he gets in at the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Um, yeah. Han's promoting the uh, the benefits of the scoundrel over the nice guys. Well, he, he kind of cops a feel on Leia when he catches her in the cockpit there. It's a, it's a lot of potential hot takes. Mm-hmm. Um, I do really like the they go to like emergency power or whatever, like the lighting in the Falcon shifts. And it's this very cool, moody vibe. Like the whole movie, the lighting is really neat. Uh, it's just There's a little one... bit it's a little bit darker, but not like not like you can't see it. It's just kind of darker and more moody. There's the uh, the shot of Leia when she's sitting in the darkened cockpit before mm-hmm. the Minoc thing like flies across the window. That's yeah. that's awesome. Um, the the original emperor's head in the hologram was enigmatic to me the special edition giant e mcdermott emperor head is extra crazy scary looking to me it's just too much like but if, if you're going to redo that shot with uh what's his face mcdermott that would be one thing i guess but they should have basically made it the exact same shot there's no need to rewrite dialogue there's no need to show us more of the face i think uh, the original dialogue me. was probably better from what i read oh yeah 100 percent also, Palpatine talks about Luke Skywalker being the offspring of Anakin Skywalker to Anakin Skywalker. 
it's so weird and clunky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, one thing on that first meeting with Yoda, when Luke is like, I don't know, something familiar about this place. I feel like that was a, a missed opportunity for the prequels. Like, yeah. weren't you kind of expecting then for Luke to, sh- to like, baby Luke to have been brought to Dagobah at some point? No. Well, I think even if you had had uh, Anakin or somebody go there, or Padme, yeah, you, know, yeah. you could have done some kind of genetic memory thing. But, I mean, I wanted Vader to be like, uh, I have feelings. That's the whole <laughs> purpose of the dark side, right? We have feelings. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I just, I got to talk about Yoda. Like, on paper, he sounds like a terrible idea. Oh, yeah. Like, like, are you serious? A puppet that's like a wise giant master, but he starts off super goofy and he's like a Muppet. But like somehow he's a totally amazing, essential character for a puppet created in the 80s. I definitely see a little bit of Peter Laurie in his face. But now I see a little bit of present day Bill Murray. <laughs> I, can, I think I can see a little bit of that. Uh, but also in, in this movie, his grammar wasn't quite as overdone. Right. Like not every line of dialogue was like mixed up grammar. Like he he he's not. He's a little bit flanderized, I feel like, in the later movies, even in Return of the Jedi. You mean how fear leads to anger? Anger leads to hate? Hate leads to... Oh, sorry. No, not even that. No, that the, just the way like he can't say a single line of dialogue in the prequels without like mixing up the grammar in it. Right. Our own uh, counsel we will keep. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that that's never appreciated enough in the Star Wars universe. Ghosts are real. <laughs> Force ghosts, yeah. Well, in the... I love the line, wars not make one great. And that's kind of in his guise as like the, the fool character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like he just sneaks it right in there. And I think that's that's the tip off to the audience of like, huh, I should be paying attention to this character a little more than well, I have. But also, here is a war hero in solitude who's probably spent every single day of the last 20 years thinking about things he could have done differently. Well, and it's here's this character who we built up in the first movie called Star Wars. You know, it's like, oh, he's become like this great hero and it's like no that's not what makes you great right like just completely like deconstructing the entire notion of heroism from the first movie well and that, yeah that's the thing is luke wanted to go off to to be a fighter mm-hmm. it's like what are you saying you really want to do mm-hmm. you know um because adventure excitement Jedi creates not these things well and then luke's like uh, i love it later on he's like but i've learned so much and i want to be like like what <laughs> like how, how to lift things yeah. how long have you been there couple of weeks maybe and you can debate like the time in this movie or you can't that's what's great about stars you just can't go with it i mean to me it feels like they're they're in the the asteroid like not even a day <laughs> they're on cloud city maybe like a night in a day i mean well no it's, it's like more about the travel time the travel to a different planet that would seemingly take a while so that could that could have been like a week or two yeah um, even leia gets to do some welding in this movie everyone's so handy yeah. Uh, Yoda uh, gives, and then, then 3PO with the all-time cock block. Yeah, yeah. Yoda gives Luke some shit for never considering his present, only daydreaming about his future, even though these dudes left him on a garbage sandbox <laughs> of a planet like Tatooine. Well, they thought it was best of time. Yeah, and that's just like another thing where it's like maybe maybe adding in the backstory that didn't help out. Because mm. you're like, why did they do that? So Leia is the one who gets to say, I have a bad feeling about this in this movie. Who I mm-hmm. forgot who says it in the first one. I believe Luke says it in the garbage hatch. Okay. And there might be one other moment. I'm not sure. Um, I remember the last time we were talking about this movie, we both really liked uh You, you never saw this on like the TV cut and uh-huh. the uh, four by three ratio aspect. 
But in the in the widescreen shot, when Vader's talking to his like holographic captains there, mm-hmm. when they're all in the asteroid field, one of the captains like disappears because his ship just got destroyed. Yeah, 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 that's right. I love that. I mean, you think about it, like Vader, you're being pretty irresponsible with your fleet right now. Yeah, that's right, because the asteroid hits the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it hits the bridge. Like Vader, like, what what are you doing? You're, how much money are you costing the Empire? Well, what do these things yeah, what do these ships cost? Mm-hmm. But I love that like the Death Star is a, a an enterprise of such awesome power that it essentially takes twenty years to get it off the ground, and but like the Super Star Destroyer, what do you like? Just make that in a couple months? <laughs> I, I think it's supposed to be four or five years between A New Hope and Jedi. Mm. Um, yeah, you're you're talking about the conversation with the Empire and the Emperor there. Vader basically says like, "I want to recruit Luke." If you go by the whole stupid rule of two. Mm. That makes it sound like Vader's just like, I'm planning to betray you. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is open treason. Yeah. But then they muddled it themselves with the fucking, like, the Clone Wars. And you've got yeah. Dooku and you've got uh, the bald chick with the two curved. Asajj Ventress. Asajj Ventress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then whatever you would call Grievous. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets a little it gets a little confused. Um, But yeah, so... What's in the haunted cave on the mysterious swamp planet? Only what you take with you, Yoda says. That sequence is really interesting. I mean, well, it's the only time anything like that's ever happened in Star Wars. The moment when Vader appears in that cave in slow motion was the moment that this movie stole my soul as a kid. And when his head rolls off and it's Luke's face underneath, that was the moment that I never wanted it back. Yeah, um, just the psychology of it. I mean, they're... They're really foreshadowing what's coming, but also just this idea that Luke could go evil, mm-hmm. you know, because they, I mean, it's never addressed in the first movie, really. Luke's just a hero. Mm-hmm. But now they're like, eh, there is this whole dark side of the force. We're actually going to talk about that and how you like, you can't just do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, there's more to the living force, I think, than just standing upside down in a swamp where Yoda sits on your foot and you lift some rocks with the awesome power of your Zen chill. Well, and the idea that a Jedi uses the Force for defense, not for attack, because I think most people are just like, oh, I've got, like, telekinesis and, like, mind reading. Like, I'll just, like, go, like, shred everyone. Like, that's not what a Jedi is about. Right. Um, and then you have Minox and space slugs. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't think about it too much. There's mm-hmm. gravity. There's an atmosphere. Eh. Yeah. yeah. Love that. <laughs> it, it looks like, like, basically a sock puppet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and just, I love when Han, like the logic of Han, he just starts like shooting the ground in the cave. Oh, I love that, yeah. <laughs> the Minox are freaking creepy, too. Yeah, they are. Well, and just the whole idea that there's like these weird, like, you know, creatures can somehow exist in like a vacuum or near vacuum and they like chew on power cables. You know, like what a weird yeah. universe this is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, don't even think about what this space worm, its normal diet is. Yeah, what does it normally eat? Does it just eat starships that Maybe it just eats asteroids or something? I don't know. Uh, uh, and then uh, the bounty hunters show up, uh, spawning all manner of, like, you know, spin-off fiction. All these characters. Goddamn Boba Fett. Well, Piet there, like, dude, you don't gripe down. He's yeah. just, like, complaining to his subordinates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You only beef up. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't, but then that's muted because you don't, you don't criticize the plan of Vader. It's just a little talking shit about Vader when he's like 10 feet away. 
to the guy who will most likely get your job when this is all done. Yeah. <laughs> the other guy's like, uh, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, Yoda lifting the X-Wing. I think it's, it's such a great way to show the power of the Force without overdoing it. It's and it's nice. it's such a it's an amazing scene, uh, and then the music definitely helps there. Yoda scene is, is fantastic. Well, this is one of the things that I think people misinterpret too, or maybe I'm misinterpreting it. Like when he talks about it doesn't matter about size. I think a lot of people think, well, then a Jedi could lift a planet, and I think mm-hmm. no. The point is that Yoda is tiny, and he can awesome he can summon up this awesome power. Well, I I mean you can you can have lots of conversations about what that line means. I think part of it is maybe it's. It's it's only different in your mind. It's it's what it's not the size of the object. It's what you're capable of convincing yourself you can do. There is no spoon. Yeah. Uh, I like how we get the we get like a an interesting introduction and backstory to Londo before we ever meet him, and he he immediately sounds awesome. It's like oh, card player, scoundrel, con somebody out of the city. You're like oh, this guy sounds cool. Yeah, he does. And then. We see, like, Han, he's very clever in the way he escapes in the trash there. Yes. But then, nice writing, they show, oh, Boba Fett was clever, too. He hid out in the trash, like, predicting such a moment. Well, I think w- what I took from that is that Boba Fett, my, the, only, the only compliment I'll pay Boba Fett isn't that he's just smart. It's that he probably knows Han Solo. Like, probably he, knows he Han him. Solo and, and, and is willing to be dumped with a bunch of trash in order to get his target. Yeah. To play a hunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I think is missing from, from fiction and like detective characters mm-hmm. is like that you risk it all on a hunch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you get the Bespin, you get the Cloud City. Oh, I love Cloud you, City. You automatically know that Londo is a cool guy because he wears a cape and also because he's Billy D. Williams. I love Londo as a character. He's, I think he's one of the great like act three characters uh, of any movie. He just shows up at the perfect time in this movie. You're, you need kind of like something new to happen. And it's like, Oh, here's this totally cool guy. And it would have been really easy to make Londo basically like dash Rendar, you know, like this, like not Han, like fake Han character. But instead he, he totally has his own vibe. It's well, like he's, he's a, he's a scoundrel, but he's not a scoundrel in exactly the same way Han is. Well, I think it was smart to make him humanoid. To make him yeah, somebody yeah. That, that they can relate to on a human level. I mean, in all seriousness, Londo flirts like a man who's had his fair share of paternity scares. <laughs> um, I'd also like to read something that Billy D. Williams once said. Oh, sure. There are two rules if you want to have a good time. Rule number one, never run out of Colt 45. Rule number two is to never forget rule number one. <laughs> I love Billy D. I really hope they find a a place to work Billy D in the like episode eight or, you know, one of the future movies. Cause Londo is, he, he immediately fits right into the whole team. You know, it's like you're making your five man band and Londo just slots right in there. What if it's like episode eight, Finn and Ray, they have to recruit to put together a team to take on whatever's going on at the first order. They go to some kind of like new version of the cantina. They walk up to a guy <laughs> and they're like, we need your help. Only you can do this. And then it's, it looks over his shoulder. It's Billy D smoking a cigar. And he's just like, fuck off. <laughs> and he goes back to his drink. I don't think you're going to do that. Uh, but I, I gotta <laughs> say though, uh, cloud city is such a cool visual contrast from the rest of the movie. Like, We've had all these like dark blues and greens and like icy whites, and suddenly it's just like big bright orange sunset. What what is what is automatically the nicest thing possible after you've been freezing your balls off, Mm -hmm. or like literally sitting in like swampy shit clouds? 
Well, it's fluffy and beautiful. It's Careberry. The whole city has this really dreamlike, dreamlike quality about it. Um, I think the wind is like a perfect, perfect metaphor for like the turbulent nature of this place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the right amount of unease. You've already been warned about this place from Luke's vision before you even see it. Mm-hmm. And so everything about it seems especially surreal. Well, and, and you know, you have your head in the clouds. It's mm-hmm. like something bad's going to happen here. Yeah. I mean, I like how immediately uh, taken with Londo C-3PO is and then disappointed when Londo <laughs> blows him off. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Londo's <laughs> just like, yeah, well, I'm not even listening to you. But I mean, Cloud City has had supply issues as well as labor difficulties. The customers don't like attention. I, I just can't get over like what kind of shady fucking shit are they mining for? Do you want to know? I mean, also, their <laughs> their current like administrator won this position in a card game i know so they mined tabana gas which is used in like the lasers somehow okay yeah uh i love that han is like he's trying to calm lay it down like don't worry he's a friend of mine and he like turns at you hey keep your eyes on yeah yeah and then lobot lobot Lobot. who sends the guards away after waiting to see like what londo is gonna do yeah it's like depending on how that meeting could have gone those guards would have just like beat the shit out of han right Right. I had the lamest selection of Star Wars toys as a kid. I had a Lobot. Mm. I had one of the Cloud City like security guards. Oh, God. That's pretty lame. I had one of the like lesser uh, Ewoks. And not I even had, Wicked? Not even Wicked. And I had the fucking like Rancor handler. That guy sucked. Yeah. Wow. That, that is sad. Yeah. That I mean, is... and you think about what toys used to be before they became so crass and like materialistic. Like these were something like these are part of your little fantasies that you could hold in your hand fucking and, rancor and, and like really like express your imagination through. And I had the fucking rancor handler. <laughs> like I I've had got like, like, Bob Hoskins handler. here. Yeah, seriously. <sighs> I like how three PO just wanders off in this new city because he thinks he hears R2. Yeah, it's a little traumatizing to get and see him blasted apart. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. As a kid, I was just like, how can you do that? I want to say the first time I watched this movie was, like I mentioned previously, at a friend's house because they had like the Betamax version. And it was in a sleepover where everybody else had gone to sleep. But I really wanted to watch this movie. So I just like put it on because we were all like sleeping in the living room at like, you know, two in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I fell asleep for a little bit somewhere probably around the time Luke has this vision because I just remember waking up and suddenly they're at Cloud City. And it just only enhanced the dreamlike quality of the place. It was yeah. like, whoa, how do we get here? Like, this is a whole new paradigm. What's happening right now? Yeah. Well, I think, too, I mean, it's it's like you've gone through hell and now you're in this kind mm-hmm. of heaven. Well, I think, you know, you always hear about these bullshit, like, like porno in the woods stories from, like, like the boyhood youth. Oh, yeah. I, th- I feel like every kid, every boy has a story. Probably girls, too. Sorry, girls. Probably has that story about like the sleepover movie where everyone else but you fell asleep. <laughs> I mean, I think that is as prevalent possibly as the dream that you woke up from and then a hand reached out from under the bed and grabbed your ankle. I mean, I can remember like a handful of movies where everyone else fell asleep at the sleepover and I'm just like, no, I have to see how this ends. Mm-hmm. I wish this was one of those movies. Um, oh, so yeah. is Yoda commenting to Obi-Wan? about leia's capabilities that yes she is force sensitive i think so i mean because my first reaction i was like obi-wan what the fuck's wrong with you you were there for the birth (laughs) you were on the death star at the same time as her shouldn't you have felt her like potential force abilities well you know according to jj abrams in the the sequels here 
Leia does not become a Jedi basically because she does not choose to. So you could maybe infer a little that like that just wasn't Leia's path like the whole time. Um, I don't know. See, I like that. I like the idea that Leia's like she looked at the Jedi lifestyle or whatever that entails, you mm-hmm. know, post prequels, and she's like, nah. Well, she can still be strong in the Force and not be a Jedi. Exactly. Um, I mean, because Luke is hardly a Jedi in like in the same way that the fucking Zen celibate monks of the prequels were. Yeah. Well, you know, Luke has his vision in this movie. He's totally wrong about how to react to it. Like, and it, it, you may not totally realize that because it seems like he's showing up to be here at the end, but he doesn't help them at all. No. He doesn't make anything better. No, no, he doesn't. Um, you can see basically what looks like Gringotts goblins in the hallways of Cloud City. Oh, the Ugnaughts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I like about this movie is after the kind of the big kiss on the Falcon between Han and Leia, they get much more kind of physically in- intimate in very mm-hmm. understated ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, she kind of, she squeezes his shoulder. He takes her hand. She kisses him on the cheek. He kisses her on the forehead. It's like, this is what a real romance looks like, Anakin and Padme. Like, not like the ridiculousness of Attack the Clones. It's just little subtle gestures here and there to show that, like, obviously they've moved on to a different phase of their relationship. There's an intimacy. There's there's an unacknowledged, like, verbally unacknowledged closeness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only time Anakin and Padme's relationship worked in Attack of the Clones for me was the moment where they're in the little chariot being taken out into the harsh sunlight of the arena. And then you... Do, I felt like you do kind of feel a little bit of that when they're first evading those poles that they're chained to. Um, there's that there's mm. something's changed between them. I mean, it's not. It dies in the uh, you've grown too, grown more beautiful. It dies in the weird S <laughs> and M outfit she's wearing by the fire that George Lucas designed himself. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I was reading some dialogue today. I think it's from Revenge of the Sith. Where he's just like. You're so beautiful. And she's just like, it's because I'm so in love. And Anakin says, no, it's because I'm so in love with you. And it's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You guys are making Arya and Ezra look decent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, couldn't you guys have just shoved chocolate cake in each other's faces? Seriously. Uh, Did you you notice that uh, IG-88, one of the bounty hunters, is in the junkyard there? Oh, no. I was like that detail. Of course, there's a whole, like, you know, backstory as to how he ended up there by, like, following Boba Fett, too. Cloud City and like failing or whatever. His his hunch was to follow Boba Fett. Yeah, I well, love, like uh, like why why is Chewie there? Was he looking for three PO or is he like I'm just gonna go check out the scrapyard? Yeah, like is, is Chewie like my mom who just like goes to like garage sales and like junk and like looks for cool shit? <laughs> three, you don't realize that Chewie has an awesome Etsy store on the side. It's just it's a little all, hobby. Yeah. Oh, what do they call that? That shit where it's like uh, upcycle. There we go. <laughs> um the other moment where this like this 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 was like maybe my number five of my favorite moments even though it might even be like my number two is the moment where they're they're going to walk with uh londa the door opens and there's vader Han i just started, made a deal he'll keep catches, the empire out of here forever yeah he catches han's laser blast in one hand and then uses the force to grab the blast of the other i mean again no argument han totally shot first there but like yeah. That just blew me away as a kid watching that. It still does. Every time the door opens and there's Vader just chilling at the head of the table. And Han just, he reacts by shooting, yeah. yeah. Also, just before that, the uh, having a problem with your droid? And Honda, <laughs> or Han's just like, no, no problem. <laughs> it's like this weird iciness between them. Well, like the the movie never shines away from the darkness as they're torturing Han, whatever that unspeakable device off screen <laughs> is. And they pull him back and they never ask me any questions. Yeah, yeah, that is so hard. Vader just decided to torture Han for fun. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you can never forget that about Vader, no matter what else he does. Yeah. You know, beyond just killing younglings or, or the love that he can be redeemed for his children or whatever. Sometimes he just har- he just tortures a dude for fun, <laughs> for boners. Yeah. But I think Londo does such a great job of acting like there's nothing going on. And it all fits because he's a card player and a con man. Of course, he'd be able to pull off a bluff like that. Yeah. I love Londo. Uh, and then, of course, the the altering of the deal. I mean, every every fucking line in this movie is quotable, but it's pray it's, I don't alter it further. It's so quotable in like a, kind of like a, a meme specific sort of way, you know, like so many applications to real life. Well, I think that that deal is getting worse all the time. Well, the way they handle this, though, I mean, there's this you see this in so many like honor among thieves type storylines. Mm-hmm. And it's always the moment where you know that this character is going to double cross that character. The deal is going to be betrayed or whatever. And it's like, I don't know, for some reason, it just always works in this. Mm-hmm. The authority of the Empire Invader cannot be questioned. Ah. I mean, you, you can empathize with Londo's position. You know, they showed up before Haunted. He's trying to make the best of it, and it's just slowly he's getting the rug pulled out from underneath him. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I love once we get to the freezing chamber, you mentioned earlier that the look, the lighting of everything, mm-hmm. it's incredible. I mean, it's it's just full, like, operatic splendor at that point. The reds, uh, the blues, the, the steam. The black. Yeah. The yeah. score is pounding. Like, God, that, that whole sequence is so awesome. And then Vader, Vader stops Boba Fett from shooting Chewie because he's kind of a bro. And he's like, yeah, stormtroopers are expendable. <laughs> like, I always like that moment for Vader. Like, it's it shows his humanity in a way that he's he he realizes this is like a moment for these guys and he's not going to like be a dick about it. <laughs> of course, you could you could retcon it and say like, oh, it's because three PO's on his back. He doesn't want three PO hurt because he made him. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, I just I just trying to picture the deleted scene where Vader's like trying to explain to them. You know, I'm misunderstood. I'm not really a dick. Mm-hmm. I'm just a guy. I have a high-pressure job. Nobody's 100% a dick. Uh, you think Donald Trump thinks he's 100% a dick? Come on, guys. Yeah. Um, as they're as they're leaving, I like that Vader tells the stormtroopers to lead Luke into the carbonite freezing room. <laughs> this occurs with Luke following the stormtroopers, who are basically in the prison. So did they take them in circles? <laughs> Well, I I guess I always figured that there's like somebody in a control room somewhere in Cloud City, just like making doors. sure that the right doors open up to kind of guide him. Because like seemingly like Luke lands and there's no one around. Right. Like, it's like they just give him like a, a landing bay. He gets out of his X-wing. There's nobody there, so he's just like walking around. Like, oh, this door is open. I'll go this way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the freezing of Han Solo there. It's so shocking and traumatic. Uh-huh. It's, it's like this is how you put your characters in a low point here. You don't brainwash them, Hunger Games. You just you do like what's the worst you could do without actually killing someone? You freeze them in carbonite. Yeah, to be let off to who knows what kind of fate. Mm-hmm. And just the the loud smack of the thing when it like they push it over and it lands on the ground like it's just like I mean it's it's traumatizing. Almost. Well, think about a villain who's doing everything they can, unseen villain off screen who wants you. They want to mm-hmm. physically possess you. Take death. And like rape off the table and think about how that takes on a, a different kind of darkness. What do they want you for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're yeah, not going to like possess you frozen. Yeah. I mean, that that is so just sickening. And it's like it's like that kind of that TV thing, that TV cliffhanger thing where it's like it's getting to the end of the hour and you're looking at the clock and you're wondering, like, how do my heroes get out of this one? Mm-hmm. This movie, you're like, 
we've been in the theater for a while. This has been a thrill ride, but this is a lot for these guys to overcome. Yeah. Well, and then I love after that, uh, Londo, he looks back at Lobot and Lobot just kind of looks over. It's such a cool little moment. It's like, that's when you know, oh yeah, some shit's going to go down. Lobot seems like a pretty cool guy. I would like to be in the Cloud City bar after hours, just hearing Lobot having a cocktail and like bitching about his job. Well, <laughs> can he? It's always like a question of like how how much autonomy does that guy have with this like He's weird computer like, thing? I can't even sleep. <laughs> I'm like one of the Sims. My master <laughs> just makes me stay up all night drinking coffee and pissing myself. I have emails coming to my head constantly. Uh, uh, and like Luke doesn't think it's weird that he lands at this place and it's totally empty. Yeah. Uh, I did like the, the imagery of the floating slab of Han Solo. It's so like funereal. It's very mm -hmm. creepy. Mm -hmm. And then Leia warns Luke it's a trap and he walks right into it anyway. Well, that's the best place to spring a trap from the inside. Yeah. I, I like the, the way they shoot that little sequence where Luke shows up because it's kind of from Londo's perspective. Yeah. And we kind of see him like, what the fuck is the deal with well, this guy? Like, exactly. who is this Luke Skywalker? That's when I rewatched it. That's what it took me over. It was like, Londo is very curious because somebody named Skywalker. Who the yeah. fuck is this guy? Who is this guy that's so important that Darth Vader himself is here to catch him? And he's like, him? <laughs> <laughs> is he funny? Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the lightsaber duel. Oh, yes. It's almost entirely in silhouette when it starts. It's such iconic imagery i mean people have been trying to duplicate the awesomeness of these scenes forever playing playing with light playing with dark like mm -hmm. doing it in multi-pieces it's not continuous non-stop action there doesn't need to be backflips yeah there doesn't need to be crazy choreography here the dr the drama of it and the way that vader's just kind of toying with luke says it all i mean a, a laser duel in like a haunted house essentially there's parts too where vader I mean, like, Luke pretty much always has both hands on his lightsaber. There's times when Vader just has the one hand. Like, it's just straight up fencing. Well, because he, he drops his other hand so he can point at Luke. He does a lot of pointing. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, and then uh, 3PO on Chewie's back there, I think, is a great comedy tag team. that It's overlooked because there's so many other awesome things happening in this movie. But, like, it it's super funny. It's <laughs> just, it's like, you know, turn around, you know, constantly. Well, plus, tying back to the first Harry Potter, I always love the idea that there could be like a passenger on your back, mm -hmm. you know, it's like someone who, who can directly communicate. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're like, doing. Oh, he's been frozen in carbonite. He should be quite all right. You know, for minute he survives the freezing process. <laughs> uh, oh. And then, you know, like all good villains, Vader doesn't fight fair. He starts using the force to throw shit at Luke while they fight. Yes. Yes. Rather effectively. Well, I love when he has to also grab onto something. Mm-hmm. But he does it in a way that just reminds you of, like, Vader's strength. Well, it's like he does it in a way that's like, like, I'm not putting too much effort into this. You know, exactly. like, I don't want to, you know, you're not going to see me sweating here. Right, right. Uh, and then Londo tells the city to evacuate. How many people are on this city? Like, it seems like a big city. Like see, tens of thousands of people. Like, oh, you might want to piece out the Empire here. I, it only got bigger, I think, in the special edition version. Like, yeah, yeah. I like the idea that there's maybe a thousand people. It's this kind of out of the way place. They have to stay small for the job that they're doing the way they're doing it. It looks way bigger than that. But I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if there were like a million people there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I just I preferred whatever version of it lived in my head before the special editions. And you got the big sprawling like here's this beautiful f floating glowing city. Mm -hmm. eh. 
Well, you get that great look on Leia's face when they uh, they don't get to Boba Fett in time. That that look of you know desperation and just I think Leia, it's, it's like she's she realizes that she waited too long for Han. You know, she should have told him she loved him sooner. Yeah, and like now she might not get another chance. Yeah, and then her and Chewie and Londo just wreck some shit with these stormtroopers. I mean, I count it; they blow away like a dozen of these dudes easily. Fantastic. And ah. then, like, it's it's funny. This movie's so iconic that like people are constantly trying to copy it. Like we said, like you know, do the empire of mm-hmm. their franchise or whatever. But I mean, Han and Carbonite, Luke missing a hand, Vader's his dad. I just it's. These kind of things, it's they're not easy to duplicate. You know, this is the it created the trope that everyone's been trying to copy ever since. But so my other favorite thing in the trivia is that as they're filming that scene, the reveal of the father on on set, David Prowse says instead, "Obi Wan killed your father." Yeah, they didn't even tell him. Yeah, only I guess Lucas didn't really like David Prowse either. Yeah, well, didn't he? Didn't he kind of get fired halfway through Return of the Jedi? Yeah, something like that. They like Jeremy like, Bullock took over. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Only Mark Hamill and like Irvin Kershner on the set knew what was really at stake here, mm-hmm. and it's that's a hardcore reveal too. No, Obi Wan killed your father. I mean, imagine where the movie could have gone off that reveal. But I mean, just like back then, there's no internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just don't get out like they do now. Yeah, you, yeah. You could have an unspoiled twist ending back then. And I still love it that they kept that so locked down. And <sighs> I just. Even if you tried to do it, like, I mean, it worked because they had a whole movie setting up Darth Vader before we even got there with no, I mean, there's kind of like, you can see the possibilities of Vader being his father in the first movie, but it's never like called out overtly or anything. Well, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about, about when a kid realizes that Santa Claus is not real. Hmm. And, you know, when you first learn that as a kid, you say you're, I don't know, 10, I think was the age that we decided was probably by then you should know or something. I never thought Santa Claus was real, personally. Okay. But, I mean, most kids think Santa Claus is real up until a certain age. And if you don't know by 10, something's wrong. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's never a matter of... I always had questions. I could go into the whole thing about the questions I would ask the mall Santas or whatever. About, like, why don't you remember what I requested last year? I think think my parents from an earlier age age just said, he's not real. So, it was never a question. (laughs) But, anyways, when a kid finally has to confront that. There's a weird, there's a weird cognitive dissonance there where part of them already knows. And it, it's kind of the same thing. I kept thinking because we were, we were talking about this movie, like, you know, search your feelings. You know it to be true. Like Luke has to now consciously. That's impossible. Con- confront this thing that he seemingly already knew or genetically felt or who knows what. Yeah. But then I have to real say, like, think about all the people you want to rule the galaxy with. Mm-hmm. It's your dad at the top of that list. Probably not. I mean, nothing against my dad, but you know. What are you doing? You want to take over and just enslave some motherfuckers with me? Well, you you get to see the real human behind Vader here. He he becomes a a very complex villain with that reveal. He's not just purely evil. Yeah. Um, And and that yeah, I mean, I guess I guess now watching this, you got to wonder like, what? Where does that lightsaber end up? That seems to be important. Seems that he's going to show up in the Force Awakens. mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know when they made this movie whether or not they decided that Leia was related to Luke. I mean, I don't think so. Mm. And yet, we get a, a hint that they are related because she's the one who hears him when he's, you know, desperate and calling for someone. I mean, hears him in the force. it's definitely set up there. I mean, mm-hmm. they could have written themselves a way that, like, Jedis can just talk to you 
like some kind of like mind telepathy yeah. phone call. Well, I think that's one of the things that makes the Vader twist work so well is almost because it wasn't planned. Like if you tried to plan it, it would have been too obvious. Right. And the reason it works is because they, they didn't have it planned from the first movie. But I mean, as a kid, I think, like I said, like it blew my fucking mind when they cut off Luke's hand. Oh, yeah. I That was one of those moments where I got up off the couch and I had now had to stand in front of the TV and stare at it. It was like the first time you see the monster on Lost in all its glory. And I'm just standing at the TV, staring, my jaw dropped. Everything about it, when he falls down the shaft and gets sucked into the side thing, I was just like, what's happening here? On this that he chooses, like, Vader gives him his pitch, and Luke's just like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> I need to jump instead. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting Which part is, of the hero's you know, journey. The, that's, the, that's his character arc, is he's learning not to be that person who would want to join up, you know, not try to be the one who just wants the adventure. He's going to sacrifice himself instead. Well, and I'd say kudos, Luke, because I'm not sure I could hang upside down from an antenna with both hands, let alone with one just being cut off. Mm -hmm. I was always fascinated by the weird hatch that Londo goes into to to get to the top of the Falcon. Just he has a little, layers little carabiner he clips on all of that. Well, just different layers of it opening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Londo is like right at home with the Falcon's controls, as he should be. It's his yeah. old ship. Yeah, and yeah. he he does uh, Billy D just like uh, Harrison Ford does a great job of like. The physical acting of like getting up and like flipping switches behind him and stuff like it all just seems like it totally real. It's like obviously this is important that he do this to yeah. fly the ship. Yeah, and, and, and he's so like like Han. You know, they they both say punch it. They both say it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Yeah, yeah. You get Vader and Luke chatting to the forest. Uh, is everyone on the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer cool? If Vader talking to himself. I love the way at the end, like you know, the Falcon goes to hyperspace. And everyone's watching Vader like, oh, shit. You know, Piet's thinking like, well, I'm dead. Yeah. And they all just watch him. He just like silently walks away because I think Vader knows this is his failure here. Well, the back of his head, he mm -hmm. turns in profile, pauses, stares back forward again, <laughs> and then walks off. It's like for a, an emotionless mask, like you could not have acted that better. It's yeah. so perfect. Well, when you get the great shot of the, the crew in the pit. They're all watching him. They're all waiting like, oh, shit. You know, is he going to yeah. murder us all? And yeah. Instead, like, I think what makes it so powerful is that this time he doesn't do anything. Right. Right. And then uh, we find the uh, the rebel fleet, which seemingly survived Hoff. Um, robot hand tech has certainly improved since the prequels, right? Seriously. It looks just like a real hand. Yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, not. Luke always knows it's not. Yeah. Londo, like, they're basically dressing him like Han now. He's got, like, the vest and everything. Yeah. Uh, so my question about Anakin Skywalker would be, yes, he has oodles and oodles of ego, but would you say that he's lacking in ambition? Anakin? Yeah. Well, he wants to rule the galaxy. I mean, but I mean... Is that not ambitious enough? But it seems like Palpatine has the exact same ambition, but he's capable. Like, he's willing to do what it takes. He has I a guess, very tactile sense of conquering that goal. I guess the idea would always be that Vader is always kind of thinking and plotting behind the scenes of how to overthrow the Emperor. But it's like it, it, the plans never go very far because like various apprentices you'd have would like get killed or flame out. So here's the podcast I want to pitch. It's one of those usual bullshit jack offy like let's talk about how to like streamline your business processes or make your inbox slimmer or whatever all that shit. But it's Palpatine and Vader. <laughs> talking about their management styles and like goals mm -hmm. and how to achieve them 
Because I don't feel like, yeah, like Anakin's like, yeah, I think I think for the betterment of all human beings or whatever, I should rule the galaxy and be the only person who makes decisions. And I feel like Palpatine's like the guy who's like, well, you got to start somewhere. Well, I think Palpatine is always kind of portrayed as like being a little smarter as a politician or whatnot. Like Vader has big ideas about how he'd like order, but Palpatine's the one who's actually executing those on a a massive scale you know vader is much more of a personal touch on things yeah i mean like anakin is just shooting his mouth off about like grand ideas Mm -hmm. and like palpatine's like here's my 125 point plan yeah so anyway end of the movie uh would you make any changes no not a fucking thing i would not not a goddamn thing this movie's perfect oh this one all right so power rankings uh, so I'm going to follow your lead. My number 11 is going to be John Williams. I mean, he just he casts a beautiful shadow over this whole thing. This is, I think, my favorite John Williams score. I mean, it has all the kind of classics of the first Star Wars movie, but then it, it adds in like Imperial March, Yoda's theme, uh, you know, like the Bespin stuff, the asteroid field. It, I love it. It's great. Well, and, and, and you know, the only thing I would add on, because like, I think this is, uh, you know, back wherever my CDs are. Like, I think I do have all of the movies on CD. Mm-hmm. The only track that I would add on, to, like, have, like, the perfect Star Wars collection would be, like, Throne Room from Return of the Jedi. Mm, yeah. I mean, that that's just where this whole trilogy is going. But, yeah. So, John Williams, without a doubt. Uh, number 10, I have the Tauntauns. <laughs> all right. I have uh, Admiral Piet at number 10. Okay. Because Piet survives. He, he somehow manages to... Like, not take the blame for anything in this movie. Yeah. I like that they bring him back, Return of the Jedi, too. I uh, I, I fell a little behind on my power again, so I, I have a nine. I don't have an eight. My number nine is General Veers. <laughs> okay. I have three feet at nine. Okay. I mean, I like everyone in this movie, so it's it's not like, you know, I want to say three feet is like poor, which is why it's number nine, but there's just better people than him. But we have a lot of characters. Who are all yeah. at, the, at their best. Yeah. I love when he starts yelling at Chewie for putting his head on backwards. <laughs> Which, you know, couple, like, all of all of C-3PO's annoyingness to people in these movies with, mm. like, everything he says at the end of Attack of the Clones. Oh, God. that's I mean... I, it, I feel it, like Attack of the Clones gave 3 po a much worse rat than he yeah. should have. When they're dragging his body and he says, mm. this is a drag. And when he has to look at his own head and he's like, I'm beside myself. Uh. I was just like, I hate you. I want to strangle the life out of you. Uh, who's your eight? Uh, I have R2. Okay. Yeah, I, think, I feel like I, I can separate R2 a little and say, I think he came off a little better in 3PO. But, you know, I mean, R2 is super handy in this movie. We actually see a lot of evolution of like what R2 can do. You know, he, he, he's always been able to like tap into computer systems. And we knew he had a manipulator arm, but now he has like a little periscope. He has a little, little like periscope. antenna thing. You do like life form reading. He has a fire extinguisher to like lay down a smoke screen. Yeah. He, uh, at one point he's just like dodging laser blasts in yeah. Cloud City. I love that. When he's like shooting the, uh, like the muck out of his system. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. The, o- the only thing he doesn't have is the little uh, propulsor blast on the sides. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. My number seven, I actually coupled C-3PO and R2 together because they're both essential to the separate journeys that the characters are on mm-hmm. i have chewbacca okay what a wookie uh so much heart in this movie i mean in your five-man band who is he is he the is he the big guy i guess just by default he is the big guy but i think secretly i was uh i've been starting watching this this canadian sci-fi show called dark matter secretly your big guy becomes your heart 
Yeah, I think a lot of times that that's the trope that ends up happening. I mean, Adam Baldwin seems like a ghoul in real life, like just a gross nightmare of a scumbag. But like Jane, kind of your heart, I Mm -hmm. think, over time in in Firefly. Well, I think think Chewie would be my number eight. You can say Kaylee is the heart as well. Yeah, but I mean, there's something about the big guy that eventually like either becomes the heart or ties into the heart Mm -hmm. in a big way. Yeah. Uh, my number six is Londo. Mine as well. Londo Calrissian. Yeah. What a great name. I know. The only thing better was if it was Grando Calrissian. Grando Calrissian. Yeah, maybe in episode eight. Yeah. Number five, Darth Vader. Oh, interesting. Interesting. My number five is Leia. Okay. I have Leia four. Uh, I think Vader just gets a big character upgrade. We we learn so much more about him. One big detail, obviously. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, going around choking dudes out. Obviously running the entire Imperial Starfleet as his like personal fuck you service. Mm-hmm. Uh not really caring a whole lot about like budgets or, you know, anything else. Right. Just randomly killing captains of ships, yeah. The, but, the human cost. Yeah. But Leia, um Yeah, she's she she's briefing those pilots. It's like she's clearly has like a an important military and tactical role in addition to like political role. Well, I mean, on one hand, like I said, I was I was saddened to see like Leia's voice, her thoughts taken away from her and things. But I'm always fascinated by the work that a character and a great actor can do when they have no dialogue, but they're Mm -hmm. but they're still very integral to a scene. Well, I think we get into her her actual personality and character and psychology a lot more in this movie. I would think that you could go back to Hannah Leia's relationship in this and I mean, if you're if you're like looking to do your, your your thesis out there or something, I think that a lot of the ideas of what could be fan fiction start with this relationship. Mm-hmm. I think this is the core of a lot of like fantasy romances. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, what is your who's your for? Yoda. Yoda. Okay. Yeah, I have Yoda a bit higher, but big fan of the character. Who's your four? My four was Leia, and my number three is Luke Skywalker. Oh, but who's your five then? Darth Vader. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, my number three is Luke Skywalker as well. Yeah. I mean, it's Luke is great in this movie. He's just overshadowed by a few other people. Um, his Jedi learning is really interesting. The character has to totally change. Mm. Um, but I think it's it's for the best, because otherwise, like, Luke could just be boring if he was just, like, the perfect hero. Right. You know, instead he has to fail. Uh, number two, I have Han Solo. So do I. Okay. It gets really interesting where you have your what you have for number one then. I'm curious as to what you have at number one. My number one is Darth Vader, because like you said, he he essentially drives the plot. The movie is called The Empire Strikes Back. They're striking back after the the fall of the Death Star. I love that title, by the way. But really it's Darth Vader. This is his personal Mm -hmm. quest. I mean, the kid's name is Luke Skywalker. I think (laughs) he's he's drawing some conclusions even before the (laughs) Emperor's like, I'm pretty sure. He's the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, maybe Skywalker is like, you know, Smith in the galaxy far, far away. This is, I mean, the quest that Vader's on here is part of why, you know, when we talk about everyone's least favorite Daniel Craig movie, which is my favorite, one of my favorites, not my favorite, but Quantum of Solace, because Bond is risking everything in that movie on a very personal quest. There's something broken inside of him and he's trying to go too far to like track it down. And I think that's, you could say it's Vader here. He's, he's, <laughs> It only becomes apparent to him, I think, as the Falcon gets away. Hmm. That he's gone too far, possibly, and that, okay. that he's lucky. 
<laughs> probably lucky the emperor may not be watching too closely. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, my number one is Yoda. Okay. I love Yoda in this movie. I, every scene with Yoda is flawless, in my opinion. Um, and he starts out, he's very funny, and then he becomes very wise. Everything he says about the Force, you know, the whole like luminous beings, like he's just great. Like everything he says is so memorable, so quotable. But I think that that the him and Vader being basically mirror images of each other, and like that's why I say this is the other half of like the heart of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. It's like both of these guys have their regrets. Sure, Vader's side technically won, but like both of these guys are probably just swallowed up by by the regrets and the things they would have changed. And and what do you do now? Mm-hmm. Now that you've lost everything or now that you've won everything and you're maybe not so pleased with how you won everything. I don't know. I cannot teach him. The boy has no patience. Yeah. I love Yoda. But it's just the, the weariness. Mm-hmm. Well, and just the the fact that he would trick Luke like that because he wants he wants to get an idea of like who Luke is as a person. Yeah. Love it. And I mean, just the puppetry work is so good. I never think about this character being a puppet. It's just like, no, it's Yoda. Somehow it's better than the CG version. It's Hmm. amazing. I mean, the puppet they used in The Phantom Menace, I don't know what the fuck that thing was. but uh, It was displeasing, to Mm -hmm. say the least. I mean, there's there's great CGI moments in the the next two prequels of him. This is the bit where he's doing the thing from the... uh, Whatever. He rubs his head. Yeah, whatever Japanese samurai movie that's from, where yeah, he's just rubbing his head, just like the headache that comes with what's what's ahead of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I was just reading that in an early outtake when Vader enters the Hoff base, he trips over a cable and fell down face first. <laughs> I hope that that outtake never sees the light of day. Yeah, we can't see that. I mean, especially since you know, I I, I giggled back in the '90s when you would see those commercials where it's like Vader versus the Energizer Bunny, mm-hmm. and then I thought, no, you're ruining it. <laughs> I like Yoda riding around in a backpack on Luke's back. Yeah. Uh, Alright, so that was The Empire Strikes Back. It is 10 days away from new Star Wars. Very excited. Mm-hmm. We'll be doing Return of Jedi, obviously, next week. And then The Force Awakens the week after. Uh, any final thoughts on the movie? Can't wait. Can't wait to continue on. But mm-hmm. uh, Can't wait for Force Awakens. I mean, there's a quote uh, from Ebert when he talks about... Uh, Casablanca, and he says that like Citizen Kane is probably his his favorite movie, but he can't imagine like living his life like thinking that he'll never be able to see Casablanca again. Hmm. And I think about that Vampire Strikes Back. You know, I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie, but I wouldn't want to live in a world where like every single copy of this movie was gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, this is like I said, it's my all time. I love this movie. I like the other Star Wars movies, but this one is in the special place for me. Anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter at headcanonpod. Our website page is broyswatchpl2.com slash headcanon. Uh, we did get a review recently from Baby Beach Ball. Thank you for that. We're up to 30 star, 35 star ratings now on iTunes. Uh, so if you do like the podcast, we all appreciate getting a review. Any final thoughts? Nope. See all you right. next time. May the force be with you.